Welcome to the Drive Phase Podcast, the best podcast for information on issues surrounding sports business in the Caribbean. On the Drive Phase, we have discussions with sport administrators, coaches, athletes, and various stakeholders in the sporting industry and examine their contribution to sports and entrepreneurship. Here's your host, Dalton Myers. Thanks, Colleen. In this episode, we have a new feature called Sports Talk, where I'll be co-hosting uh, with Dr. Julian Kresser, researcher, sports historian, and sociologist. Uh, we take on some very topical issues, and today we'll be hearing about a few of them. Kresser, welcome. Thank you very much, Dalton. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. So, listen, we're going to be starting off with World Cup cricket. So, the World Cup cricket has ended, and England, they have won it. <laughs> they, they brought it home. Let's talk about the sustainability of cricket and, and World Cup cricket. What's, what's your view on that? Okay, well, um, if anybody follows me on Twitter, they would have seen me repeatedly <laughs> um, tweet that this has been the worst World Cup ever. Um, part of that is my own, I suppose, frustration and disappointment in terms of the organisation of the Cup. I wouldn't say disappointment in the performance of the West Indies team because I had absolutely no hopes for them. So there's nothing to be disappointed about. You're like, you're like the president. But, huh? You're like the president of, of Cricket West Indies. Who <laughs> <laughs> said never yeah, expect yeah, yeah, us yeah. to win? Yeah, yeah I, well, <laughs> That's a, one of the first things that he said that I've been completely on board with him about. Um, but in terms of, you know, we have, we have the World Cup. Um, obviously one of the largest international um, sports competitions um, and reflecting on I think right now the sustainability of specifically ODI cricket is very important um, we have seen the obvious takeoff and growth of the T20 game since the, the mid 2000s and a lot of people are really questioning the kind of continued relevance of ODI cricket um, so and not test know, cricket um, well, I, I think that a lot of people you know have this tremendous attachment to test. test cricket you know it still represents for even a lot of the players the ultimate test of you know um, sure about that there is there is a lot of popularity of test i think i think a lot of people now feel as if cricket needs to go forward with two formats test, test and, and t20 and that odi cricket is kind of stuck in the middle neither fish nor fork. Chris, we're going to uh-huh. talk a little bit more you're, you're discussing something but if you look at the crowd support for uh-huh. test cricket uh-huh. people are hardly going to stadium to watch a test cricket uh, people are hardly watching it on TV so no. how, how can you be looking no, well, at well, that well, as one? Well, uh, what I would, uh, first thing I'd say to you is that one must be careful about um, judging the popularity by attendance at the Suns. People, Fair have, enough. people have no time to go and sit down in, in, and watch cricket for five <laughs> days. People have no time to go and watch cricket for one day either. T20 is right now perfect. Um, but a lot of people follow test cricket um, in new forms. I mean, obviously there is the traditional television, but then there are many online platforms. There's live texting of, of every game that goes on. And from what I've seen, there seems to be still some love of test cricket. And certainly what is important to look on too is that a lot of administrators seem committed to the survival of oh, test, test cricket. cricket. No, how committed are they to one-day cricket, I think, you know, is the question that we should put in front of us today. Because when you look on the, the ODI World Cup versus the T20 World Cup, there are some very important differences that come out. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think World Cricket has recognised that T20 is what is going to grow the game. Fair right? enough. It is, Fair you enough. know, 
media friendly it is you know quick it is easy to play you know um and you Spectator see this friendly too. everything so you see over i think 100 registered cricket associations now competing in t20 mm-hmm. cricket and the world cup reflects the t20 world cup i think reflects this kind of push to grow the game you know there are 16 teams you know a number of the associate teams get to qualify and play and have their kind of you know 15 minutes of fame when i look at this odi world cup this decision to limit it to 10 teams yeah tells me that there are certain imperatives that the icc has and certain things that they want to get out of odi cricket and for me it's not the growth of the game it's just money it, it's purely money it's just money and i just share amongst a few and and exactly and it is in particular india money that that's right correct. so we've had every single time india has failed at a, a world cup in recent times they've changed the format of the world cup right so they've come up with this world cup <laughs> format where we have only 10 teams only 10 teams right so all of this work that has been going on in all of these associate countries the nepal the papua new guineas the hong kongs you know i could go on and on and on mm-hmm. really boils down to they had the opportunity to compete against the two worst test teams to qualify right right and only afghanistan got in so right away it tells you that listen <laughs> icc is not in using and west indies <laughs> 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 and Westin is only that in because of a bad LBW decision against Scotland, right? We were right. one bad umpire decision away from not being in the World Cup. But the point is that yeah. ICC, I, to me, doesn't seem like, look, we're interested in ODI cricket as something to drive the game forward. We are interested in making, maximizing profits from the Cricket World Cup. So a 10-team World Cup round robin which ensured that at a very minimum india was going to get nine games right right so even if india played poorly they were guaranteed nine india games Mm -hmm. right and it bothers me greatly as somebody who is interested in in the spread of the world game um to see you know this showpiece competition really being um structured in such a way simply to maximize in their TV revenue. No, no, but Krista, but isn't mm-hmm. it that cricket in general from test right to T20 is mm-hmm. now geared towards India? It's really about the Indian market, all the decisions right. that are being made about mm-hmm. um, profit sharing, about right. competition, etc. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's where a lot of the money comes from. I think it it is a bit short-sighted if... if um, they concentrate only on India and I think they've recognized that which is why I said in T20 there seems to be this push um, for the growth of the game I think that they are quite happy to see T20 grow because T20 requires less of an investment Um, it's a much higher rate of return which is what I'm saying that I think just looking on it it seems as if ICC sees ODI cricket as you know not as possibly profitable venue as, as T20. Okay. Let us organize it in such a way that we minimize our risks, we minimize what we have to put into it and maximize what we can get out of it, which means World Cups with as many India games as possible, full stop. And nine India games is good. Right. That's good for the market. Right. And doesn't we, matter what happened after. We even see when India lost in the in the semi-finals, Captain Cole is saying that perhaps they need to even again revisit the format and to change it um, 
and have a have a format similar to the IPL where <laughs> where you have one person going through to the final and then the a other playoff. teams kind of having a playoff, yeah, right? Yeah. And as I say, you know, it, it just leaves everybody who if you had any doubt before that so chances are this is what is going to happen next time <laughs> because you know he who pays the piper calls the tune and India is certainly paying the piper. So I look at this this World Cup and as somebody who has long been you know interested committed to cricket. Um, I really think that what is happening here is that going forward, the 50 over World Cup loses um, its kind of position as the showpiece global event. Um, they've already, I think, decided to do away with Champions Trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I think the T20 World Cup is going to become the showpiece kind of cricket world event. And the 50 over World Cup will continue to be held. But as I say, in such a way that it really becomes largely just an income earner rather than anything to drive the growth of the game. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think what we have to look forward to more and more and more is, is T20 cricket. Listen, I, I agree with you. I think, I think by and large, they have been trying to figure out, you know, how to make more money from it. Mm-hmm. The the test match, I don't know, it's, it's surviving, but I think it's, <laughs> it's barely surviving. In the sense that while while people are not going to the matches, there there still are not a lot of persons who are watching Test mm-hmm. cricket because it's still five days. Yeah, um, and as I said, they're trying they're... to test cricket championship. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, kind of and 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 you know, and I get it. It saddens me as obviously somebody who grew up on, on Test match on Test cricket. Yeah, myself. Right. Um, Six days too. But you know, again, it's it's just this kind of you you know I think mentioned this this, uh, this idea of this capitalistic model and this mm-hmm. continued desire for growth, and even if you think about what is going on now with you know the hundred in England, you know, there's this desire I think on the part of the ICC to constantly capture new markets, mm-hmm. and so they have a product that people like. They ignore the people who like the product and try to change the product to attract pe- new people. I'm not sure how successful they are in attracting, sustain new people. Time will tell. But they're also losing a lot of the people who like the original product. Yeah, product. But, but I get the so. impression though that they, in a way, they think that the the Indian market is supposed to be the targeted market no matter uh-huh. what else happens. Uh-huh. Which is problematic because at some point, that market becomes saturated mm-hmm. and you need other people out there yeah, well, to, to get involved. And as I said, which is why, as I said, when you look on the T20 World Cup, there's clearly this desire to be far more inclusive. Yeah. Far more inclusive. Um, but as I said, time will tell um, if T20 is really something that will have any type of sustained popularity in the way Test Cricket has. So maybe 20 years from now, we won't be talking about cricket any at all. <laughs> probably. Well, right, we'll sure won't be talking about the West Indies. At the rate West Indies is going, we probably won't be. Uh, your take on that West Indies team, we won't talk long about it. I didn't watch too many of the West Indies games, to be honest with you, uh-huh. because I didn't expect much from them. Yeah, I, I, I am <laughs> surprised they win the first game, but I am a tremendous sucker for punishment because I got up every morning and watched every yeah, practically no, every game of the World Cup. No, that's um, sad. Even though I swore not to. Come um, on. That West Indies so, so that team, Bangladesh game, you watch it. That that yeah, game yeah, yeah, between West Indies and Bangladesh, you watch the entire um, West Indies <laughs> Bangladesh game. Um, <laughs> And and people complain. Are you proud uh, to cover a podcast and tell people, people you, you, you yeah, watch that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people complain about you know. I don't. 
I don't know if it's appropriate for me to say, but let us say um, that there are moments when West Indies didn't play intelligent cricket. Um, and I would say that, as a, you know, that, that, that was a sustained lack of intelligence on the part <laughs> of a, a, a team that I haven't seen in, in, in a long time. Um, so that Bangladesh game was certainly, for me, uh, a low point of the West Indies performance. But the entire, the entire uh, World Cup? Of the entire World Cup. Um, that was just, you know, as I said, for me, the worst performance that I saw. But very quickly, um, just to say, you know, my thoughts on the West Indies team, again, that West Indies team was neither fish nor fowl in the sense that it was not a rebuilding team. Let us pick young people, throw them in there, get experience yeah. and plan for the next World Cup. Nor was it a team of, let us just bring in all, all of the, the stars, stars that we can and yeah. see if we can just win this, right? And, you know, the results were, as I said, what I think I expected. Yeah, I, I think again that the West Indies cricket team, you know, have no clue. Well, certainly, I don't think we have a clue what we're doing with the program and where we want to go. So some teams would use, you know, some young players and say, hey, let's let's start a rebuilding mm-hmm. process now. That wasn't the process. Um, or let's bring in all the stars and go for the win. I think we're trying to mix it. And then we were one of the worst teams yeah. um, in the entire competition. Right, and Afghanistan got more praise. Um, right, and I think they deserve more praise. Um, um, yeah, I think they deserve more praise. They, they, I believe, you know, although they only won, no, I don't think they won a game, but they, no. I think, performed to or above, you know, <laughs> their expectations, expectations and their their individual talents. Chris, I think we also performed above expectations in the West Indies team. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, I yes. never expected us to beat Pakistan. So I there think you go. I, think I thought we would have lost to Pakistan. So I think you're right. On thank that. you very much. Um, so at least I win one round so far. All right. So cricket World Cup completed. We have another one that just finished, which is the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there it. It, it was one of the best women's World Cup in terms of, well, certainly in terms of the quality also, but not just that uh, viewership mm-hmm. and uh, just overall. I think from the Caribbean, because Jamaica team was there, a lot of us really wanted to watch it. Yes, yes. And in general. And then you came out with your lovely column in the, in the Jamaica Gleena uh, discussing this issue of equal pay for men and women in the mm-hmm. World Cup. Some people say that, Cressa, there's no way we should be paying women the mm-hmm. same as men because mm-hmm. the women are not getting the same amount of TV mm-hmm. rights and, mm-hmm. and, and commercial rights and all of those. So anything else is don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So let's not talk about equality when we can't get equality in that way. Mm-hmm. Talk to us again about your view on this one. Okay, alright. Well, um, I agree with you first of all in just saying that this FIFA Women's World Cup was a lovely spectacle. There was some great football. It was a tremendous showpiece for the talents of women's footballers. And some people say better than the Copa America. Well, I, I said that one match in particular was better than <laughs> anything I saw in the entire All right, Copa you America. That. Right? Mm, go ahead. That, um, certainly, so there was some good football on display and it shows, you know, that the women's game is growing and is certainly worth, some teams are certainly worthy of, of you know, attention. Um, but of course, the the kind of thing that dominated the headlines was the the battle of the American team for for you know better pay. So one of the first things that I want to say is that in this particular media age that we live in, things get very sensationalized. Um, people you know jump on bits and pieces of stories. People jump on you know headlines that will will you know grab attention. So the first thing that I want to say is that the battle that the American women's team are fighting is not simply for 
equal pay, right? Equal pay is is kind of like one part of the battle, but overall it is for you know better treatment, um, better facilities. You know, there's for instance um, complaints about the 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 use of VAR in the women's World Cup that Com- there were, right. you know it was in trial leading up to the World Cup. Um, in particular, the issue with the application of the the rule for goalkeepers, for goalkeepers penalties. Right. So you now there's this feeling that you know very frequently the women's game is kind of almost used as a guinea pig in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, to test things out on. So it's it's not just about equal pay; it's about that kind of like wider battle for respect, um, you know, and equal treatment. And the first thing that I, I would say is, you know, there's the obvious rebuttal to that, which is men far out earn women in terms of revenue, right? Uh-huh. And therefore, if one looks purely at the revenue that each team makes, then there is this argument to justify the men being paid far more than the women. And my point was that if we are going to look on that argument of revenue, it's also important to, to understand why it is that, you know, men out-earn women, right? Um, and one of it is that one could argue that, you know, and I think that it would be very difficult to find anybody to disagree that in terms of physical capabilities and skills, men are superior to women. They're bigger, faster, stronger, right? And therefore, you know, one could make the argument that male sport is more of a spectacle and therefore more popular than a women's sport and they are more spectators. But the other thing is that one has to be also cognizant of the fact that, you know, sport generally has had a sexist history, mm-hmm. right? A lot of modern sports, sport as we know it, the various codes of football, including rugby and, you know, other forms of football, cricket, you know, the modern Olympic games, you know, a lot of the sports that we know were kind of born out of, you know, Victorian England and Western Europe and born out of a society in which which had particular ideas about what was appropriate for men and women to do. And so sport has always been affected by these kinds of sexist ideas and therefore women's sport has historically suffered. Um, Not only has it not received much encouragement but at various stages women's sport has been deliberately suppressed so we reach a point now 150 years later where women's sport is certainly far less popular but it's not simply a reflection of the abilities of women versus men as you said Mm -hmm. at the beginning Mm -hmm. many of the women's games were actually quite an enjoyable spectacle if you really gave it a chance and sat down and watched that women's world cup as i did um, you will realize that there are some amazing talents and some very good football being played as well as since you know Joe Gerda's talking about intelligent versus Don's cricket <laughs> tremendous you know tactical and strategic awareness so the football yeah. is good right <laughs> so there is that but you know at the same time women's sport has not received you know, the kind of development the marketing promotion right and therefore you know, that is part of the reason why women's football is not as popular. So my argument is, if we're going to talk about revenues, it's not fair to talk about, to compare the revenues of men and women until both of them are been given this kind of equal chance, equal promotion, equal marketing. So really what FIFA needs to do, what the national associations need to do right now, is to pump money into the women's game to develop it, grassroots, school level, under 19, under, you know, all the youth levels and the national levels. Market the women's game right um and give them as fair a chance as possible to earn the revenue that their talents merit now maybe in two generations women's football will be far more popular but maybe not as popular as men's football we don't know right so for me the focus needs not be on equal pay 
what the focus really needs to be on is this kind of like equal attention to the development and promotion of both men's and women's yeah. sport and then let the equal chips let the chips fall right. you know where they may I so. think you know and I agree with you in the sense that I think a lot of it I've, I've had this discussion before is how we treat women's sport I mean there, there are two general things the, the minute we say football we assume it's males and to mm-hmm. explain that it's female we have to put women beside right. it etc 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 so those s- things subconsciously suggest to us that the the sport belong to males mm-hmm. and the other part of it is, right. is, women, is women are other right women yeah, yeah, are yeah, other it's a very good way of putting so, it yes. so, so that's the first problem and so once we change that the US to be very honest with you I've been trying to do it so they call it the men's the US men national team and the US women men's national Team, which helps. So you already mm-hmm. suggest that there are two different teams, but not just that one owns the right mm-hmm. to a particular sport. The other issue for me is then, of course, the media and you know how we market, how we mm-hmm. promote the male game versus the women game in in, in, in our space in Jamaica. We don't get to see women's football uh, on TV, etc. We uh-huh. suggest that netball is probably the right sport right. for women. So we have those kind of issues. So I agree with you that fine when you talk about equal pay, but the pain may never be equal. The treatment, though, needs mm-hmm. to be equal, mm-hmm. and then the pay comes from it if we're going to be talking about supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I'm reminded of an incident with the with the, the T20 Cricket World Cup, um, the year that... Westin has won both the women's and men's C20 World Right, Cup. right. Um, and under 19. And, you know, there were obvious discrepancies in the prize money between the men mm-hmm. and the women, mm-hmm. which, again, is understandable in terms of revenue. However, what was also what also struck me is that they, they had different flight arrangements. So, like, the cricketers would fly first class, all of these things. Um, and the women, <laughs> I mean, were given, like, the most basic treatment in terms of their flights and accommodation. And there's really no need for that at all, right? Yeah. And I think in general, though, I mean, we talk about cricket, we talk about football, we talk about a lot of the different events. I think just in general, we we have to look at investing more in women's sports and, and try and give them just that same opportunity. You talk about right. uh, FIFA and ICC, etc. Uh-huh. Right. And and again, it's, it's interesting because we blame, you know, a lot of the kind of capitalist model of sport for some of the, you know, supposed deficiencies in sport. Um, but the reality is, if we th- think about it purely from that kind of capitalist perspective, what the, the US women's team has shown is that if you s- invest sufficiently in mm-hmm. women's sport, it can become a very, very profitable thing, mm-hmm. right? The w- US women's national team, um, as one article suggested, in terms of match revenue, has out-earned the men in the last few years. Now, they're still not up to earning the same revenue as men overall, right. but the point that is to be made and, you know, that you're making here is that in purely in terms of, of, of money and profit, women's football and women's sport general is something that is worthy of investment in. It will provide return. It will. I think one other challenge, um, certainly for me, is in the Caribbean, we still... Let's take it outside the US. In the Caribbean, we still do not see uh, women's sport as that important. I mean, mm-hmm. it's an international thing, but I find even here it's even worse. I mean, we know our situation where at one point we, we disbanded our own um, women's football mm-hmm. team. Right. 
until you know we had some the Cidella Marley and the Alacran group that came and mm-hmm. say hey listen let's let's help right, out right, and all right. of those kind of stuff right. and we're having that right across yeah and I mean it's it's it, we all know you know um, you have also lectured in sport at University of the West you understand that sport is not an autonomous institution mm-hmm. it is closely tied into the, the politics mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know into the econ- e- economics of the society and what is happening is really just a part of a larger battle for you know e- gender equality in our society right. and it's going to take time right but I think that what is happening is that we're beginning as societies maybe in the Caribbean we're behind others but to rethink and to question these traditional kinds of gender roles and sport is going to be caught up in that not only just caught up in it I think that sport has the potential to kind of lead the way Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, of breaking down some of these stereotypes and in this kind of, you know, um, quest for, for gender equality. So I think in time we will begin to see differences. At the same time, of course, because sport is physical, um, there are always going to be, I think, differences between men and women's sport. Um, so, you know, we have to take that into account as well. Talking about pay and equal pay, we're kind of moving a little bit more into another type of pay. We're having... In the transfer market in the European football, uh-huh. and we have free agency, which uh-huh. is an interesting phenomenon in, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. in the US in, in this basketball thing. By the way, could you play basketball? Can you play? No, no, I can't play basketball at all. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. God gave me a few sporting talents. I used most of them on cricket and I didn't get very far with that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably I could still make the West Indies team, you know, at this rate. I am positive. I um, think I can bowl and bat better than Ashley Nurse, for sure. <laughs> well, um, I'm trying to wonder if I can if I can do the same. Listen, so alright, so you can't play basketball. But this, this free agency, the amount of money that people are getting when, when you reach this stage of your life, well, yeah. for most of them, uh-huh. is a big thing. Now, I want to look at that, but I also want to look at, in our context in the Caribbean also, uh, that development of you know players mm-hmm. the, investing in themselves, what are some of the things that we are seeing out there, uh, and to what extent we are, we are really making use of business of sports and the amount of money that is being pumped yeah man I, I, I tell you there, there are mornings I, I get up and question my life choices <laughs> when I see some of these contracts that um that have been offered but then again as I said to you um, maybe God didn't give me athletic talent for a reason because when I see some of the contracts that these 17 year olds sign I honestly feel that after I, I'd be one of these one contract and done players because a, a three year contract after, or a one year contract after and that's it. I, if I get up and I see 30 million US dollars in my in my account. I, I find it hard to contemplate a coach telling me to run faster, to go for. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just you know. Well, the, well, the, it's, well, the issues with the contracts though uh-huh. is that you know, seriousness. If if you don't run faster, then there are also deductions yeah, and all of yeah. those kind of stuff. You can probably lose a lot of money. Oh yeah, man, for sure. And I mean, obviously, the serious point that mm-hmm. you know we're, we're making here is that. You know, there's a phenomenal amount of money available now to to athletes, um, and in many sports. You mentioned basketball a while ago. Um, you know, we've seen free agency a few weeks old, and we've seen you know the mega contracts signed by people like Kawhi Leonard and others. There's you're also um, 
you know Durant. Um, Kevin oh, you mean Durant. There's also you know the European football transfer market, right. and we've seen the prices of footballers in Europe escalate immensely in the last twenty years. So yeah, Rashica you know, is a Chelsea fan, and she had a goalkeeper who was the last season uh-huh. was the highest paid, well transferred, uh, most money spent on a goalkeeper. Um, yeah, but to be fair, that goalkeeper was part-time manager, so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> who, so, so, who decided right, that he's right, not right, coming yeah, out so of the field? Yeah, for me, okay, that's cool. in mind in terms I think of that his important, then. That's important to understand <laughs> that he was, you know, part-time manager, so. so um, but, but, well, uh, well, the funny thing about that is that he's still there and the coach has left. Because, yeah, well, so, maybe, so maybe, so that explains uh, everything. Precisely, precisely. Yeah, I but, couldn't support that team. But, um, no, yeah. no, certainly, certainly me either. But, you know, as you said, the point is that there is, you know, a lot of money available to players um, they're getting rich very quickly and you know there's an obvious need for certain support systems to be in place to help them to manage that money yeah I think it's the same thing the, what I've seen is a, a lot of funding is there almost in, in every sport even track and field now where the, the IWF is trying to work a lot of these events whether it is the Diamond League or the World Challenge etc etc so much so that they're trying to narrow down the amount of activities so that people can have more in terms of not just prize money but just bonuses etc and I think the, the challenge from it though is athletes getting proper support system whether it is psychology whether it's you know lawyers financial advisors because mm-hmm. there's so many athletes Cressa, that we have heard over the years mm-hmm. who have gone bankrupt, bankrupt. Yeah. And, and and bankruptcy doesn't necessarily mean you don't have money sometimes right. but we have seen so many who have really fallen on hard mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's it's a real struggle after that yeah certainly and and you know a lot of these you, you know you you are far more the, the expert on the business of sport than I am but um, so you know you can elaborate but what I wanted to make is that you know a lot of these professional players nowadays need to realize that they are far more than simply professional sports people they are they are in and of themselves entities right yeah and yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know there's so much that comes along with being you know a professional in terms of the income that is earned it's not just you know wages or salaries from being a player it's as you suggested things like image rights you know it is you know branding you know um and there's so much that goes into having success as a professional star than simply performing on the field and and so there's the need for this whole range of of support services you know um you you mentioned psychology you mentioned financial advisors but what's also important right now is the need for in a sense brand managers because all of these Mm. people are their kind of own individual brands and we've seen time and time again examples of sportsmen costing themselves sometimes millions of dollars simply because of an errant tweet yeah right um you know recently i think in in the nfl draft there was a player who was drafted to play for the san francisco 49ers and there was a controversy because um, you know, San Francisco is a is a very diversity a city in which that values you know inclusiveness and, and mm. diversity. And he you know had made a number of tweets that you know suggested that he was not in favor of a lot of, a lot of these things. And it, you know, it it threw his draft position into jeopardy. Right. So you know, there's there's also the need for that because in this particular age again of social media. You know, um, th- that management of your brand, I think, is essential. And the truth is that, you know, there, there are a lot of persons out there sometimes who want to tarnish that brand or to just put things out there. 
I was talking to a, a manager the other day who was saying, listen, when something bad happens or an athlete tweets something bad, mm-hmm. it's the hardest thing to control. Mm-hmm. Or if something is said about the athlete. But if you put out a statement trying to correct that, very mm-hmm. few people read that statement. Yes. Um, what is the famous quote? That a, a lie travels half the way ar- around <laughs> the world before the truth can put on its part? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I remember even the other day... We heard that Elaine Thompson was dead. Yes, several times we have heard that. And immediately they had to put out statement to say, hey, listen, I, I've never traveled to Canada before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, <laughs> somebody said, you're getting calls, boy, condolences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about Elaine. And, and we've heard this for many athletes, but nothing you know that wasn't the truth and so right, sometimes right. it becomes even difficult trying to control all that negativity that is going out there because mm-hmm. you have to control your your, your brand etc we know about the tweets people putting out information out there that is either not true or athletes that tweet things that they cannot take back exactly and, and <laughs> what 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 also strikes me is that when you when the athletes make it big there are people who are digging up tweets from five six years ago yes. you know from when people have that people are teenagers yes right so you know if anybody has um i mean one shouldn't be tweeting certain things because you know of a respect for human dignity and yeah. you know no, no. humanity but but having said that you know um if you have your mind on an athletic career you know even as a teenager you start to have to kind of think long term and yeah, manage that but, image but Chris that is hard meaning that teenagers especially on social media think that is just an outlet to express mm-hmm. themselves and it's funny you say that because just a few days ago I was talking to a very top track and field athlete mm-hmm. Jamaican who said that you know what they did was just to dig up some tweets that mm-hmm. she uh, since she say can figure out who it is she you know mentioned years ago you know as mm-hmm. a youngster she was just tweeting mm-hmm. those have been left there once she became right. a star people just went for those yeah. and they had hacked into her account so they mm-hmm. just started to retweet it right, right, right. and retweet all of those you know mm-hmm. so people start to saying Jesus and, yeah. you know them things I should talk about so a, a lot of those they have to be careful of so I, I mean the the, the moral of the story is that athletes just have to be very, very careful. Yeah, of course. And, uh, and you know, you, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So on the one hand, it does seem, I think, to many of us a bit extreme that people are being, you know, punished for tweets that they may have sent out into the universe a long time ago for, you know, sometimes, you know, just having a personal opinion. Um, but as I say, you live by the sword. And in this case, living by the sword is that they are also paid millions of dollars for endorsing certain things and for having an opinion right right so this is just you know the deal that they have made talk about opinion mm-hmm. um you're saying bolt has an opinion mm-hmm. you're saying think that you know his his coach is being attacked and uh-huh. he has an opinion i'm going to save you um from being banned in jamaica uh-huh. for an opinion on this but to ask you do you think it is okay for athletes, whether retired or otherwise, especially just retired, to have a personal opinion on, you know, topical issues, etc.? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, for our listeners, we're not even talking about you seeing Bolt here. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I, w- I would like to say one thing in regards to that, which is I think we can all agree that regardless of which side of the divide you're on, if you wear size 10, you shouldn't be putting it into an <laughs> eight and a half shoe. <laughs> H- having gotten that out of the way, right. um, 
Yeah. You're just putting out that in the right. atmosphere. I'm just, just, just saying that, you know, I think that, right. you know, in moments of the vibe, we have to see the things that we can all rally around and agree on. Right, and that's one thing we can rally around. Um, but sh- you, the question, you know, should athletes have opinions? Should athletes put them on? Voice those opinions, yeah. Um, I certainly think that they should. Um, I think that whether they, you know, necessarily accept the role or not, that they are tremendously influential, and therefore, if they have particular opinions and want to shape, you know, the way people think, then that is a very good thing for them to do. You know, however, I understand if athletes are reluctant to do it simply because, as we've seen, you know, you know, sharing opinions comes with consequences. And there's a famous Michael Jordan quote that Republicans buy Nikes too, right? <laughs> right. You know, to his to explain his, you know, just you know, lack of political um, activities. Um, but I think that it is a good thing for athletes to have opinions. I think it is a good thing um, to share them. I always think, of course, that it is important how things are said, mm. right? And even, you know, not getting into the details of the particular issue that you raised, you know, I do think that a lot of the problem, a lot of the divisiveness, a lot of the anger has come from the way in which certain feelings and messages have been conveyed. And I do think that, you know, in particular, if we're talking about Jamaica, we have a societal problem when it comes to the way we express our differences, the way we express our disagreements, you know. Yeah. Um, we, are, we are a violent set of people. Yeah, at times. That's true. At times we are. Um, you know, l- listen, my position on it is that athletes should be free to air their positions on, on any issue. Knowing though that just like a normal person, whichever side you take, mm-hmm. it can come with its own consequences. So you have to know that. Um, in relation to the Usain Bolt thing, I've said this over and over that I think Usain should be free to express his feeling about, you know, what he said about his coach, um, how he says it. I guess that is his way. You know, I mean, that's one thing. Uh, but, but I agree with 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 an article by Tanya Lee, which just says that uh, family feud just don't help. You yeah, know? yeah, family feuds it, it really doesn't help, and something you have to just figure these things out in house but the entire thing is just unfortunate yeah, precisely and and you know you say family feud right and you know part of the, the wider kind of like social problems that I alluded to a while ago is I don't think as a country even as a region a Caribbean region we have really come far enough in terms of how we manage human resources mm-hmm. and we see it every you know again if you go to cricket you've seen this long standing dispute between between players and board you've seen it many times with players and different national associations right you know i think one of the things is that we have to recognize that this particular generation of athletes of 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 jamaicans of caribbean people um are in search of a respect that maybe has not been accorded to our ancestors and the wealth that they can earn from sport gives them a kind of independence that allows them to kind of demand a respect that maybe previous athletes have not. And I think that that has led to, you know, a lot of kind of clashes because we have this authority system in the Caribbean, this this typical kind of autocratic, you know, dictatorial way of administering. And that needs to change, right? So I think, you know, what we need is just the center. There is no reason, as you're suggesting, for some that particular, you know, dispute 
to have become public in the way that it has right yeah no i i totally agree with you uh julian listen thanks again julian for <laughs> joining us um remember that this is this is this will be a new feature i hope that all of our listeners all of our listeners learn something uh, julian knows a lot so julian thank you very Yo, much i'm boss. very glad to be here you know anytime i'm glad to share glad to talk these things all right great uh, on behalf of studio engineer Andre and producer Rashika Grant, thanks for listening to us on this week's episode of The Drive Phase. Remember, 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 make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. Remember, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. So go tell a friend about the show so they too can spread the word. Feel free to send feedback, comments, or questions to thedrivephase at gmail.com or look us up on Twitter and Facebook at thedrivephase. Use the hashtag TDP for all things thedrivephase. Until next time, see you then.